What up, babes? We're back. Well, one of us is back. Nicole's back in the bunker. She's not allowed out for like another week at least. But I do have my good friend, Shannon Stovall here. Hello. Hey. I am so happy to be here. I am so glad you got here and got to be on here. And yeah, thanks for being my guest host. I'm so excited to talk about this movie. I just really quickly want to say weird fun fact about me is I do think this is literally my most watched film in my life. You told me that. And I, (laughs) I don't know how to explain that. But it so, is something about me. Are we putting that, like, is that going to be on a separate scale from, like, movies you watched as a kid? Because, like, when you're a kid, you watch, like, five movies ever, but you see them, like, 400 times. Mm, I don't know. I think it's sort of meshed into my adult life. Because it right. is a movie that I definitely should not have watched this movie when I was a child. <laughs> I think the first That's time fair. I saw it was, I don't know, when it came out in 2000. Yeah. So I was like 10. Right. And I watched it over and over again. And it would (laughs) disturb me highly. Oh, yeah. But there's just something about the visual aspect of it that just kept making me come back to it. Mm -hmm. And then I did take a hiatus for like 10 years and then rewatched it thinking that it wouldn't hold up. Because certainly, like, I remember there being so many just visual effects. And I was like, there's no way that this is going to still be good. Right. And was really pleasantly surprised. And then since then, I've watched it maybe, like, five times. It's also something that, like, a lot of people have never seen. Yeah, it's weirdly underviewed. It really is. And so I've been, like, reintroducing it to a lot of other people. And they've been like freaking out over yeah. it. So it's like had its new life now. Yeah, you're giving a little And uh, now we're doing a podcast Neo-Genesis. about it. Yeah. So <laughs> it's just come full circle. For well, me. I guess we should say what movie we're talking about. Oh, yeah. Well, you said circle because that's what I texted you yesterday <laughs> when I asked you to come on. <laughs> that's right. Uh, I, this movie is not called The Circle. It's not. Uh, either the amazing reality TV show from Netflix that recently came out and I'm obsessed with or the movie with Tom Hanks and Emma Watson that I have not seen but mm-hmm. keep meaning to. Maybe I'll get to it. Who can say? Mm-hmm. There's a long fucking list. Yeah. Uh, but this movie is called The Cell. It's called The Cell. This was Tarsem Singh's directorial debut. Yes, it was. Yeah, it's a weird one. I like this movie a lot. You do. I do, yeah. I I had no idea whether you were going to like it or not because sometimes so, yeah. your opinions, they confuse me. I have a lot of them. <laughs> I file them under pro, con, and eh. Yeah. Yeah. So. So this is pro. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, And like there's varying degrees of pro and con and yeah. But Mm -hmm. this is one that I didn't remember how I felt about it. So it was one of those movies that I thought I hadn't seen and some friends were watching it in college. Mm -hmm. So this would have been like, yeah, 10 years ago probably. So I watched it, yeah, about 10 years ago for the first time all the way through. But then I realized I'd seen bits of it here and there on like cable. Because mm-hmm. it was one of those movies that was kind of frequently on, like whatever, like TNT or yeah, uh, which is sort of surprising to me for some reason, right? Because it's kind of an art house film. I mean, it's a major studio, but still, but still, and it's an artsy version of. There are enough graphic themes, right? That it does seem like a weird one to have just like I think running like a edited. rerun of CSI yeah. or something, you know. <laughs> But yeah, I, I had never seen it all the way through, but this was the... So in college, it was the first time I saw it all the way through. I actually rewatched it this morning um, just to like refresh myself. Because mm-hmm. I remembered the movie, but I didn't remember how well I remember the movie. Because I was definitely 
very stoned when I watched it in college. Right. And remembered enjoying it then and feeling like sort of vaguely positive about it. And I really liked Tarsum Singh because the mm-hmm. first movie I saw from him was his most successful one, The Fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was his one of his least successful. It was. It was? Yeah. I thought it was. I, it like barely made back its budget. It oh, probably wow. actually came in under because people always underreport their budgets. I just feel like that's the movie that most people know him by. Well, for s- in the communities we run in. I guess. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, uh, his mo- his biggest one was uh, Immortals. Oh. That movie with uh, Henry Cavill and I want to say Nick Nolte or Mickey Rourke. Someone like that. I've actually never seen it. I As like either. a fan of him, it, yeah, it's surprising I've only seen The Fall and The Cell. Yeah. So yeah, this was his directorial debut. He had done like commercials here and there. He was mostly known music for videos. his music videos, yeah. I think. Which is pretty common. That was a big thing in the 90s was to direct yeah. a bunch of music videos and then you eventually get either a short or a f- usually a feature mm-hmm. so like spike jones took that route because he did all of the beastie boys videos and like fat boy slim's videos mm. and showed like his eye and everything and then he was given bigger projects eventually like way down the line mm-hmm. and then yeah tarsum singh had done he did that really famous pepsi commercial with enrique iglesias oh it was like wow. the highest budget production like highest production budget pepsi commercial ever wow it was intense Wild. yeah i actually i went back and found it this morning and it was really it was nuts oh my god <laughs> i would love to rewatch that uh, yeah so that was that was like the big path for a while michael bay is like that mcgee is like that because michael bay directed the uh, meatloaf i would do anything for love video oh my god That's uh there's crazy. a fun i was just talking about this actually so I love that song a lot, and so does Nicole. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're both big Meatloaf fans. Fun fact. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that video was originally supposed to be directed by David Fincher. Oh, wow. But he had a $1.7 million budget and wouldn't adjust from that. He's, yeah, notoriously mm-hmm. just, like, overdoes his budgets. Mm-hmm. I have uh, one other sort of fun fact that because he hung out in mm-hmm. like music video director circles yeah he was highly highly influenced by a lot of them making this movie and mark romanak he directed the nine inch nails music video closer oh, no shit. yeah um, that one's nuts i and i definitely see that now i see that you're saying yes. that i definitely see so that i rewatched right it earlier this morning and there are like seemingly direct images Mm-hmm. From the music video in the cell, yeah, like the, um, the doll theme like definitely is there. It's a doll theme. There's like those moments where there's the vignettes, yeah, of the different doors. Like it almost looks like it's actually the same set. Yeah, when they dive into Vincent D'Onofrio's psyche the first time, or like into his subconscious mm-hmm. the first time, there's like it looks like one of the props from the closer because that's the one with the doll, right? Where it's like taking itself apart and like putting itself back together and shit like that. Sort of. It's like very body horror-y. Yeah. And there's like suspension. Yes. There's also, and we will get to this once we start to unpack the the plot of the movie, but there's a scene where Jennifer Lopez is in a closet and mm-hmm. there are eels swimming yes. around her feet. Those like exact eels are in the music video as well. That's it was so really, dope. yeah, it was that. really cool. That's this kind of mirroring yeah. effect. Um, Shouts and out to his friend and everything too. Yeah, yeah, it's really nice. Well, basically everybody who worked on the production side of this came from the music video world. Paul Lawfer was the cinematographer and Robert Duffy was the editor. Mm-hmm. And both of them come from the music video world. And then another one of, I'm forgetting his name right now. I had him pulled up earlier, but one of the other DPs that, Tarsum Singh works with a lot 
also does a bunch of music videos. Mm-hmm. The guy he worked with on The Fall, and I think either on Immortals or Selfless, Calvin Harris Rihanna song "This Is What You Came For." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And Ariana Grande's "Into You," which I also I like. I remember the "This Is What You Came For," but I couldn't remember the "Into You" video. And I rewatched it. I was like, oh, this guy has a thing for like very specific types of like how to mm-hmm. fuck with perception. Because if you remember the "This Is What You Came For" video. It's a lot of just Rihanna walking and like follow shot or like tracking backwards on her, her with a steady cam mm-hmm. as she walks towards you. But there's a thousand Rihannas to the left and right because oh, there's a, right, like yeah. a mirrored sort of thing. And there's all this like color work, but it's mostly done in um, like midnight tones, mm. pops of like really bright, like mirror colors, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's really cool. But that's amazing. <clears throat> that's, a, that's a video I absolutely fucking love. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> The, yeah, yeah that funny, same like, director that did the Nine Inch Nails one that I was just talking about also did right. Criminal uh, yes. by Fiona Apple. Another great music video. So, yeah. You can definitely, just, this this feels, I know it came out in 2000, so it's still technically 90s, right? Yeah, it definitely it feels. In, it feels very 90s. Yeah. Yeah, that basically covers everybody that we needed to mention, too. Yeah, let's see. Production company was Radical Media. Distribution was from New Line. I was surprised how much of this like how well this did at the box office yeah i guess you had star power in it because you had jennifer lopez jennifer lopez was huge in the current moment as well so was vince vaughn yes and then vincent d'onofrio who i don't know if he's a i don't know if he's a box office draw but no he is my favorite part of this movie that isn't the visuals absolutely (laughs) he's my favorite part of any movie (laughs) he's so good in everything yeah i feel like it's one of those actors where it's like if you know you know yeah so like if you know you love him you will go to the movie to see him yeah he's definitely my like he's my anti daniel day lewis Mm -hmm. i did read though that vincent d'onofrio's wife Mm -hmm. couldn't sleep in the same bed as him for a few weeks after she watched this movie that's fair he's very terrifying in this movie That it was so effective that your own loved one can't even, like, be in the same room as you. That checks out, honestly. Yeah, that's crazy. So, I guess we should jump into the plot. Let's do it. So, this movie, the the quick way to describe it is Silence of the Lambs, but actually horror. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? That's what a lot, I was reading a bunch of, like, reviews from the time, and that's what people kept comparing it to, and saying, well, this is just a Silence of the Lambs ripoff, and it's like, I mean, it is in that it involves a serial killer and an FBI agent and someone who helps that FBI agent Mm -hmm. access the mind of the killer. Yeah, that's like a really basic, like, outline of it. Mm -hmm. And then, in addition to that, you then have the further world, which is not just the trying to solve a murder mystery but then it's also uh jennifer lopez's character catherine mm-hmm. being a a child psychologist right who then she has been undergoing an experimental procedure in right. which she goes into the mind of a young boy in order to coax him out of a coma yeah and basically what happens is that the serial killer goes into a coma of the same type too. of the same type and they don't know where the girl is right that his most recent victim captured yeah. so as they're sort of really desperate to find a solution to this problem and mm-hmm. it sort of seems like Catherine is the only one who can help right and so then you have the alternative storyline that like exists alongside the investigation where Mm -hmm. it's then her traveling down the rabbit hole so to speak of his mind it's a very like alice in wonderland through the looking glass sort of thing yeah 
Yeah. But fucked. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So I guess we can just like do the just quick like here's what happens if you yeah. want. So yeah, like you said, there's a child psychologist, Catherine Dean, played by Jennifer Lopez. Uh, she's been doing, yeah, they, they call it virtual reality in the plot synopsis. I think it's more than that, but that's a pretty quick and dirty, easy explanation for what it is. Yeah. It's very like, it's almost, it's somewhere between VR and like uh, Minority Report. Absolutely. Where Be- it's, yeah. Because it isn't real, technically. They keep saying that, but I disagree. <laughs> well, but they keep also saying that part of it, it can be really dangerous because right. if your mind starts to believe that it's real, mm-hmm. then it has the potential to actually have real effects on you and your body. So what you're saying is that so Chris Nolan ripped this off for Inception. I would say that. Yeah. Yeah. You're going on record. I'm going to leave that in. <laughs> yeah, gonna... I'll, I'll stand by that. Welcome to Horror Babes, where we just come for a different director every episode. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> yeah, so there's the, they, they dive into the subconscious, basically. There's this whole, like, suspension thing where they're wearing these cool rubber suits that look like sci-fi armor. Yeah, they look like something out of Star Trek, like Next Generation. Yeah, but it also kind of looks like their skin has been stripped yeah, it from their body. Like and it's yeah. like these deep maroon red costumes that have like musculature. Mm-hmm. And so there's a little bit of like a horror in that yeah. imagery of just these two individuals like stripped of their skin. Not to mention the shrouds on their faces. Yeah. They're covered with these like napkin type things. It, does. it looks like a like microfiber napkin. Yeah, it totally does. I apparently I don't know. There's like some kind of pattern on it that maybe mm-hmm. looks like like a like a motherboard on a computer. Yeah, chip it's got or sort something. of like a virtual like techie sort of thing yeah. to it. It's very cyberpunk. Totally. Yeah. So yeah, it seems like we're in a not too distant future or like an alternate present because mm-hmm. everything else looks like 1999. Absolutely. Every last thing in the movie looks yes. like 1999, except this one lab. Mm-hmm. She's been diving into this kid's subconscious to try and coax him out of a coma. She's not succeeding in a way that the parents are happy with. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the director of the program is happy with. And she wants to try a different method of reversing it and letting him into her subconscious as opposed to her going to him, bringing him to a stable place as opposed to a chaotic place. And they're like, no, it's too dangerous. He could, he could fuck up your brain. Mm-hmm. And they tell her not to stick her career on it, yada yada. So then we cut to the serial killer plotline, mm-hmm. where we have Vincent D'Onofrio playing a. He looks like Ted, or yeah, Ted Bundy, right? Totally looks like Ted Bundy, and a little bit Dahmer. He's like yeah, kind of somehow, like a crossover. He's got that haircut. Yes, if he somehow looks exactly like both of them simultaneously. Yeah, and I kept doing that this morning. He's like Dahmer, Bundy, Bundy. which hmm. hmm. Can't if you say. just put some glasses on him too. Oh yeah. Just Next would, level. Yeah. Wait, does he have glasses? No. No, he doesn't. Uh, but he does have three names. <laughs> he does? Yeah. He What's is his... Carl Rudolph Starger. Starger? Starger? Starger. Yeah. Starger. I think Starger, yeah. I also think a couple different of the actors say it different ways in the movie. I think you're right. <laughs> so he we he's like in this underground bunker sort of thing. There's a woman suspended in water who appears to be dead. Mm-hmm. And... 
Yeah, we like first this, see like, glass this bunker cell. for the first time yeah. where we're finally putting it together, like what he does to these women. Mm-hmm. And uh, the location is nondescript. Like we don't really know right. exactly where it is. Yeah, we get no context clues other than underground. We don't actually really. see him go underground either. Oh, that's right? right. Yeah, we just see like a couple of buildings, his truck, his dog. He gets out, goes, and then it's under. His and then we're, and then we're dog, in the, Valentine. Yes, which I did not, I had completely forgotten that plot point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he goes down, and then, yeah, we see this woman just sort of floating Mm -hmm. sort of peacefully, which is very eerie. Oh, yeah, this whole scene is one it's weirdly one of the creepiest ones in the movie to me with all of the like chaotic and like body horror shit later. Mm -hmm. This one still creeps me out the most. I agree with that. I think... This was a, this is the hardest to watch scene, I think. Yeah, because then he submerges her body in bleach. Mm-hmm. It makes her albino, too. Mm-hmm. And he's watching the video of her drowning and dying uh, through, like, different... There's, like, four different TVs that he's watching, and it's all her. Yeah, and it is very much that, like... I don't know how to explain it, but it's that 90s, like home video oh it's so static too yeah and it's in black and white and it's on one small tv monitor but Mm -hmm. in four sections yeah so as a whole you're seeing just four different versions from different angles of this woman screaming for her life and i felt um, bad about watching it at like the volume i had it at this morning because i couldn't hear it but i was like oh my god it's like 9 30 in the morning and there's so there's like horrifying screams coming out of my TV. Oh my god. Um, So yeah, he douses her in bleach. Kind of makes her doll-like. Yes. Puts the collar around her neck. Mm -hmm. And then suspends himself from piercings in his back over her. Yeah, he lays her on a metal table. Just remember that this monitor with her screaming is still in the room directly next to her. And then, yeah, he has these rings in his back. Mm Mm-hmm suspends himself above her body while watching her and, die like, grunting and screaming and we, it's sort of alluded that like this is very much a sadomasochist sexual mm-hmm. act that yeah. he has like sexual pleasure from her suffering yes. and then suspending himself above her body yes oh, sorry my stomach's yeah, like turning i don't really, think it's the coffee i think it's the movie <laughs> it's really disturbing yeah, it's funny. I was watching this this morning and I was like, oh yeah, this thing happens. And also, I used to watch a lot of Ripley's Believe It or Not. Oh yeah. And, like with the one that Dean Cain hosted. Uh-huh. And it was like, I swear to God, every other episode had somebody like piercing their back with like giant fish hooks and suspending themselves. Mm-hmm. It was just like a thing that they loved showing. And it was literally every other episode. <laughs> I know. Well, it kind of turns into like a freak show type yeah. thing too. Mm-hmm. And I really do not know about this world so i really don't want to speak on it too yeah, much yeah i have no but commentary I, on it i do know that it's not always a sexual act no um, it's like sort of like a submission mm-hmm. but in this context it definitely feels like a power play and also right. very sexual yeah yeah, yeah. I, would, I would agree with that analysis uh yeah, yeah i have no i have no comments on the world itself mm-hmm. uh i love piercings that's it <laughs> <laughs> yeah <same laughs> i've had several that's mm-hmm. all so now we find we meet Vince Vaughn, we meet the FBI people, and they are trying to they find the woman's body uh, in a shallow creek, and it turns out Vince Vaughn's a very good FBI detective. <laughs> Maybe the biggest <laughs> suspension of disbelief in this movie. He yeah. is I, I like him in this movie. He he works in his character, but seeing Vince Vaughn is anything other than like 
an asshole drunk. Yeah. It's very hard for me. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And uh, I always forget that that one guy is in this movie, the one from Breaking Bad. I have only seen the first oh, season. Oh, no. He's like the DEA agent, like the bald guy. Oh, his brother-in-law. Yeah. Yeah. That's the that's like Vince Vaughn's boss. No shit. In in the cell. I didn't even recognize him. I guess it was yeah. only like ten years apart, but you know, damn. Yeah. Okay. It's pretty. Fuck yeah. But he still is like playing the same character, which is right. Funny. Yeah. I, I mean, you look at that guy and you go, yeah, he's law enforcement. <laughs> Absolutely. That dude's like a proto fascist. And has definitely. yeah, and has like a little bit of problems with like other people dominating or getting power over him. Yes. Yeah. That checks out. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yes, we they... find her body in the shallow creek, mm-hmm. and they start following up on the leads and everything. They find a lot of stuff out very quickly. Very quickly, they find the dog hair, mm-hmm. and then very quickly figure out that the dog is albino, mm-hmm. and that obviously that's a rare. That's very genetic. Yeah. Um, it's an albino mutation. German Shepherd, which you yeah. Would, they so they say like went to a breeder, and that was they found that very easily. Then I actually appreciate them not spending a ton of time on that. That would have been a very boring. Like this, this is already three true. movies in one. I didn't need one of the plot lines to be so deep. It's like true. That. I really feel like the first thirty minutes gets wrapped up pretty quick. Yeah, like it in really terms runs of through. the the whole investigation. Mm-hmm. And basically, all they have left to do is just figure out what the girl is. By the time we actually get into the movie, right? Like they already find him, the right, dog. Yeah. The house. Yeah, they raid the house. Her body. Right. Like everything. Which is really impressive. And we will bring this up maybe later because it sort of feels like the whole rest of the movie actually didn't have to happen if they were just better about the certain detail. Right. That somehow they missed. Yeah. It's one detail that they missed. One detail that like could have solved everything I'm just as quickly as they found everything else. It definitely, I, I meant to look more into this. I sort of ran out of time today, but I it feels like this was one movie that was written mm-hmm. and then another movie that was written and they kind of just went beep. Yeah. That was a, that was me locking my hands together. Sorry, I forget this is an audio <laughs> medium and oh, not yeah. visual. Yeah, but it definitely feels like one of those movies where it was two other stories combined into one. Mm-hmm. And so one has to get shoehorned into the other. And it all has to work out. And I'm not mad about it. I'm not either. Because we got this movie and I enjoyed this movie. Yeah, I was talking about it with Joseph last night. And he was just like, this whole movie didn't have to exist. Like, if they just were able to actually do good detective work. Right. But I appreciate (laughs) that it shows cops being bad at their jobs. Yeah. I love when cops are bad at... Well, I love when movies are honest about what cops do, which is basically nothing. i got to talk... You know what? I'm not going to stop talking shit on cops. Fuck cops. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) You're in good company here. We see him scouting out his next victim, and he's in his car. And then this is also the first time we see him kind of have these, like, weird seizing-like... Yeah. It doesn't... It sort of comes across as if he's possessed. Or there's, like, demonic voices sort of, like, talking to him or Mm -hmm. telling him that he should do something. Which is our cue to let us know that he's schizophrenic. Yeah. And so... And he's, like, taking lots of aspirin. And he's also holding, like, a doll in his hand in the car. All Um, important points. So he ends up... I mean, this is actually really smart. I think it's really fucked up. But basically, you kind of get, like, a little bit of a parking lot horror trope, too. Of, like, the woman walking through the parking lot with her taser right 
And so you're instantly on edge. You think something's about to happen, but then she successfully gets into her car. So then you're mm-hmm. like, oh, woo, like she's she's gonna be fine. But then he trained his dog to help him with murder. Yeah, yeah. That is insane. I forgot about that. It's a, it's a moment I actually really liked because it's a such a cool it's scene and a subversion of the horror show. I mean, absolutely. that's a, that's a thing that gets done a lot of like that. That undercut of like, oh, she's not safe. Now she's safe. Definitely not safe anymore. It's mm-hmm. like it's a raising of the stakes because yes. she gets through the normally the normal dangerous scenario safely. She's now leveled up into the more dangerous scenario. Yeah, her actually being in the car has made her way more unsafe than she was to begin right. with. Yeah. So then she tries to back up her car, but then she hears a dog whimpering. Mm-hmm. So she thinks that she's run a dog over. So mm-hmm. she gets out of her car and she's comforting this dog that's a very good actor oh so good Um, give that dog an oscar exactly in the world of the movie and in our world (laughs) more awards for animals agreed yes so (laughs) that is the stance of this podcast as, (laughs) as she's petting the dog she realizes oh shit there's actually a cinder block behind my wheel mm-hmm. and so then there's like a split second where we're there with her in that yeah. moment of panic but before she could even fight he's already behind her with like a bag over her head and strangles her and, that and wide um, shot of him picking up like you forget how big yes. vincent d'onofrio actually is as a human mm-hmm. until you see a wide shot of him and you're like Fuck, dude, you're huge. Yeah, just like, towering over her. Yeah. And then the pull-out shot of her car, there's a column. Mm-hmm. So we actually can't see them very much anymore, but we just yeah. see their legs. Mm-hmm. Like It's all backlit, and ugh, yeah, it's in it's relief. So it's so good. It's It's a really great shot, and there's... Mm-hmm. A thousand of them in this movie. There's mostly good shots in this movie. Yeah. There's a couple that are like not great, but they're... It, I think they're only not great by comparison to how good the rest are. Yeah, absolutely. So then, yeah, because we've already seen the tank full of water with the other woman, we right. already know like what's about to happen to yes. her as well. Yeah, because we get a, you get a few cutaway shots here and there that I'm not going to like pull to every single time. Basically, yeah, we'll get throughout the... I, I'll probably skip over them in the synopsis, but basically, like, yeah, there's going to be cutaways here and there to her in the tank mm-hmm. and trying to figure her way out. And there's some nice, like... The bit with the pipe and everything like that is a nice like seed plant. Right. So we see this woman being resourceful and being, which is something I do want to shout out. Is that the, like I just want yeah, to kind of cover that really fast. It's just like her, this woman who's in the cell, who's still alive, and they've got the countdown on to save. She is very resourceful and a very powerful character, and I really really like her, even though I know nothing else about her. Yeah, she doesn't have any lines. No, it's just her interacting in the space and trying to problem solve and trying to figure out if there's like anywhere in the window that there's a leak and like she's really trying to she problem solves hard yeah she really does and that's the other thing is that they mentioned that his mo is a tank with a timed water thing like they get she gets fed she gets water she gets Mm -hmm. a toilet and then she gets way too much water right because it's just like it's the terror like they say something about like oh it's the terror for him of like how she lives and experiences this horror and thinks she's so it's again it's that she's safe enough where she's in this cell she can't get in or out but she has food she has water she has toilet it's an illusion of safety exactly and it's that like lets them live like that for a minute until that water goes up yeah and i think for me this is a huge 
part of what makes this movie so horrific is I feel for myself one of the scariest things related to death for me mm-hmm. is the knowledge that I'm about to die. Yeah. Like I would I think most people would rather just be taken out or maybe oh, yeah. not know that's going to happen. Quick. But if you're in a position or a situation in which if something doesn't happen, like if I'm not saved or if I can't get myself out of this, mm-hmm. I will die. Yeah. So I have a finite amount of time to be able to process that and accept it and yeah, whatever. Yeah, a ticking clock on you yeah, mentally um, as well as physically. Yeah, that's and tough. And just the visual aspect too, like the torturous aspect of tank slowly filling with water Ugh. and you literally seeing your life lessen or in inches. your time yeah. in inches. Like yeah. it's a measurable visual yeah it's yeah it's It's really (laughs) mentally upsetting yes uh Um, yeah it's it's a weird version of like i think it's a weird powerful damsel yeah because it's i mean it's technically a damsel in distress situation which no one loves yeah but it's a good one because we have like she's not a main character she is a a a plot piece Mm -hmm. which sucks but she's a really good plot piece and she's really well written as far insofar as a plot piece can be written. Yeah, I mean the first scene that we see her, like I said, it's her with a taser. Yeah, like, she's prepared, she's, she's smart, she's yeah. resourceful. We see all of that. Mm-hmm. And even when Vince Vaughn rescues her at the end, we see her using the pipe to breathe and stay alive. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's just a, like no one else does that. And I love that Tarsum Singh is like, yes, that's what we're doing here. And the, the writer Mark. Mark, Mark David... Protovsvik. I don't know how to pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, Mark Protosevich. Protosevich. I think. Or Protosevich. Put the stank on it. So yeah, the the mm-hmm. two of them, I think, collaborated in a really good way to have this really strong character. Mm-hmm. I also don't know who did punches up, who like punched this up or like who script doctored or whatever, and it might have been them. And so if you're out there, shout out to you. Good shout job. Shout out to you. But... It might have been Carrie Fisher. She script doctored everything from like 1983 on. Oh my god! She that literally would be every incredible. fucking movie. Yeah, <laughs> that's so good. You can just see her walking into that writers room, like, "What the fuck are you doing, this woman character? Give, give her some fucking shit to do." Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you bunch of dumb men with your cocks up your own asses. I love that Carrie Fisher talked like Reagan from The Exorcist, yeah. just all the time. That's just a thing that I hold in my heart and know to be true, and mm-hmm. it's just. Gives me strength. So beautiful. So, so yeah. immediately after that, we see him in a bathtub. Right. Actually, and in that's his the, home. That's during. That's like right ahead of the raid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't remember what he's saying, but he's like saying like a lullaby to himself. Yeah. Or something. It's, I think it's just a moment of like this dude's crazy. Yeah. And then that same surge of s- sort of like schizophrenia, seizure, seizure like sort of feelings or whatever are happening he starts to seize in the bathtub Mm -hmm. then he takes more aspirin he walks downstairs he's looking through his cupboards in his kitchen and i feel like this was a really interesting thing every single time he opened the cupboard it like he like had a moment where it was like he was being exercised yeah he kind of like reels back yeah so he'll open the cupboard and then reel back and his head's thrown back and his mouth's open and he's shaking mm-hmm. but then he he would walk to the he would be fine then he would open the next cupboard and it would be like the sort of repetitive sort of motion yeah and then then it cuts to the raid so all of these right. people are outside they find him very yeah. quickly outside Good of job. his house SWAT team mm-hmm. they bust through they find the dog. 
then they find him uh, face down on the kitchen floor naked with right. the ring still in his back. Yeah, that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they immediately sort of figure out that there's someone who's, they find out that Catherine Dean, Jennifer Lopez's character, is going to be, is like the person who can like dive into their, dive into the subconscious. Mm-hmm. His boss is like, that's bullshit. Don't do it. It's dumb. You're, you're not going to get anything. This is a waste of time when we could be doing real detective work. Turns out he's right. <laughs> but Turns out he's right. Do they do. They do. Jennifer Lopez and Vincent Onofrio up to the machine. From here on, yeah, it's based, there's just a lot of dreamscape from here on out. And a few cuts to, there's one big cut to real world. Oh, two big cuts to real world because they're, yeah, we'll get to this. So Jennifer Lopez is going to dive in, figure out what's going on with him, mm-hmm. and try and find a clue or or the actual location of this woman who's been captured mm-hmm. and has a ticking time mm-hmm. clock thing, death. She goes in, that opening sequence of her diving into his subconscious is so fucking creepy and cool. It's amazing. <laughs> there's just all this like tortured ass shit that mm-hmm. she has to like go through and she gets in and she like, yeah, there's just like all these doll like replicas of his past victims. There's that large bodybuilder woman Ugh, who so comes up behind her, good. who I kept calling Pyramid Head. To myself, because she has like the same gait and like stalkiness of Pyramid Head from Silent Hill. Oh, I see. I see. Uh, okay. Because Nicole and I watched that in October, and it was just it just like was right there for me. Mm-hmm. I guess it was yeah, just on the surface, and that's just what I felt like she was. So she finds Starger's innocent side, which is this little boy form, mm-hmm. like we'd say like eight years old, something like that. Something, yeah, yeah, eight or nine. Um, so he starts leading her through his history of abuse we see his baptism which is a really horrifying scene mm-hmm. so again we're t- talking about themes of water and we see his father who's just whew, a piece of shit <laughs> i've known some shit dads in my day and this one yeah. is up there so it's like she goes into his she dives into his subconscious mm-hmm. three times i yes. think right yeah and this is the, the first one is she so gets the, attacked yeah so the first one she meets his younger self right then at the very end of the first session she meets like i would guess you could call it the super ego or something yeah of it the king starter the king yeah Yeah. the king of the castle Mm -hmm. so to speak and that scene is just remarkable Mm -hmm. that cape yeah is everything his whole outfit it's like the it very i have a lot to say about all the looks the looks are that's a there are many looks being served here it is Unbelievable. Except for Vince Vaughn's frumpy suit. <laughs> but it's a, its own look. You it know? is. It's a choice, and <laughs> it's, it's a, a strong choice. Yeah, and it is and it works. exactly it's accurate. Yeah, for it's, him. it's yeah. You know, it's this was back when he was like skinny and like yeah, yeah and it's just like oh this over- and it was also exactly what every suit and shirt looked like in 1999, 2000. Absolutely. Like he looked good for the time. Everyone right. was like, oh yeah, Vince Vaughn. Was it's a little like, disheveled, but like he's working hard. So hard. He's always got a half lit cigarette <laughs> in his mouth. He it never seems to go out. So serious. God, he's yeah. just working so hard. So, <laughs> yeah, there's that first dive. And yeah, it, have you ever seen any of like, there's a lot of these uh, wuxia films, magical kung fu movies from generally China. I haven't seen them, no. They're, they're a, a, a pet favorite of mine. Uh, big, I have, big fan. I have been told by many people that I need to watch them. They're great. You should see a couple. I don't know if it, it's like not for everybody. It is definitely, it's a strong choice aesthetically and it's a very specific type of film and I feel like they, 
I think a lot of people, like, I've heard other people talk about them, too, who also love them, but they don't vary a lot. Mm. Like, you're there to see the coolness and to have fun. The stories are loose, typically. Mm. But there's a few good ones around in this character from Chinese mythology, the Monkey King. Okay. And he, Vincent D'Onofrio's super ego, I guess, yeah, the, the, the King Starter is dressed like the Monkey King. Oh. Which I don't know what that means. It's just a thing I noticed. He's like, the, um, the way his like his whole garb is very similar to that with his like crown and the cape and the gold and all of that. There, I mean, there's a possibility that there's some inspiration or influence there. Because yeah. I did do a little bit of research on the costume designer. And nice. she's from Japan. Okay. I don't know too much about her, but there is a chance that like a lot of that imagery could be worked into yeah. her own designs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Tarsim Singh being from India too would have exactly. access to a lot of these myths. Because the like the Monkey King myth runs through a lot of Eastern Asia and the Indian subcontinent. Mm-hmm. Like there there's legend like the, as much as I know about it and I'm not an expert here at all. Just I have a certain affinity for Eastern mythologies. So I think mm-hmm. they're fascinating because they're, you know, not ours not the ones that I grew up with necessarily. And so it was really cool to see. It was fun for me to like dive into, I love mythology in general. And mm-hmm. so anything I can take in on it, I will just read. <laughs> yeah. I was uh, So reading... it's one of those that I did a little, not a deep, deep dive, but a nice like, you know, wading out into. Yeah. I did read something too that Tarsum was like also inspired because in India, there's a lot of like really, really old, old, rich culture and history and mythology. But then there's also the contemporary flip side of that, which Mm -hmm. is just like insane levels of technology. Yeah. So what is it like to live simultaneously in these sort of two worlds that coexist with each other that don't really make sense? Oh, he plays with that a lot. Yeah. yeah. I can definitely see that playing through here. That's dope. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, um, so we meet the King Star, we meet King Starger Super Ego. Yes. Yes. And that ends the first dive because she yes. she does the thing where she grabs her hands right and then uh, yeah she screams she's hits absolutely, the panic button yeah she's done she's yeah. like I'm getting out of here then the second time she goes under it's sort of like a sleep paralysis moment mm-hmm. where she goes under but then she wakes up thinking yeah. that like the that. The people on the other side of the glass have like stopped. And they, well, the, they, they tell her heard the, those versions of her tell her it's a power surge. It's a power surge. Yeah. Um, I, we need you to get up from the table to go do the power breaker. Yeah. She's like, what are you doing? She's like drowsy. Very, she can't yeah. make sense of what's going on. Then when she finally gets off the table and goes over to the wall to the power breaker, she realizes that she sees herself suspended still. Well, and there's this really cool shot there that I don't... I was trying to look... I was looking into it. I couldn't find out how they did it, whether mm-hmm. it was digitally or forced perspective, because yeah. you see her look at that and she gets closer to something, closer to something, and you realize that she's like two feet tall. Yeah. Or like a, like a foot even. Mm-hmm. Like not like just barely up to your knee, right? And that's when she looks back. She like realizes, wait, I'm... She like looks up, sees a circuit break. That's way higher than it should be. It should yeah, be like at very eye height. Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I was so interested in the shot. I was like, I really hope this is a forced perspective shot and not digitally done. You couldn't find it out. Mm-mm. I hope so too. I mean, I think they You'd did a lot of like to find some of the stuff. Huh? You'd be shocked how hard it is to find like discussions, like unless you find like a director's commentary. That's true. Uh, and a lot of those aren't. The internet is very wide, but it's a lot smaller than it used to be. Mm-hmm. And so the finding anything through like 
SEO, like search engine optimization shit, and like all the algorithms and that prioritize certain yeah. things over others is just fucking hard. It used to be way easier to find shit on the internet. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. I feel like they do so much through the camera in this mm-hmm. movie that I wouldn't be surprised if it was forced he's, perspective. He's but... well known for doing that because, like, yeah. I know in the fall, he spit, he like, funded most of that movie himself because it was just a passion mm-hmm. project for him. But in the the blue city, there's that's an actual city in India oh, wow. uh, where everything is painted blue, and he personally supplied paint to the locals to like keep their houses fresh for all the shots because he didn't awesome. want to do it in post. He wanted mm-hmm. to do it in camera. I love so that. yeah, I would imagine yeah. it was, that's why that's I knew that. So I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I want to find that out, and I just couldn't find anything out. But yeah, so she finds out that she's in a in a dream state still. She's the dream within the dream, sleep mm-hmm. paralysis moment. And then this is where the real fucked up scene happens. Yeah, this where is where it's bad. They, she, first of all, she falls like through the floor or something. Mm-hmm. And then she has like a rope tied around her feet. Yeah. And so she's like falling backwards or upside down. It's like a, yeah, yeah well, it's like it's, a visual It's through a vacuum space, like, and so you don't know which, which yeah. way is up, and that's nice and disorienting, and it's a mm-hmm. good moment for this. That's, yeah. Yeah, visually it's stunning. Then she sees Valentine, the dog. Right. And asks Valentine, Please, can you take me to Carl? Mm-hmm. Then we see Carl run through like a tiny dollhouse, mm-hmm. and, then, and then she goes into the house, sees Carl washing dishes, then one of the dishes breaks. Right. And then he, the little Carl stuffs Catherine into the into the closet. Right. With the eels. To protect her. <laughs> yeah, with the eels, as mentioned previously. And then we see Carl's father come out and just beat the living shit out of him. The absolute ever-loving shit out of him. He calls him... <sighs> Horrible the, names. Yeah, a lot of slurs thrown um, in there. Because he finds him playing with dolls later, too. And then we see the big... He, like, rips his belt off and... Mm-hmm. Burns him with an iron. Oh, and yeah. It's just... It's exactly what you might be imagining in your own head. And mm-hmm. I don't know if we need to, like, really talk about it Yeah, we don't have far. to detail the abuse, really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I'm, I'm fine with not doing that. That shit's so fucking triggering. It is. Uh, that I'm just not gonna... Even and with the scene with the mother, it's just like yeah. it's too much. It's hard to watch. It's Again, really... I've known some fucked up dads in my life, and this one's up there. Yeah, it's. I'm gonna throw out a fancy word here. Mm. It's got a lot of verisimilitude. Ooh, can you break that down for me? Uh, seeming as lifeness. So as lifeness. It's just not even. Which is not any more clear. I don't think. So mm. this the concept of it is like. It doesn't have to be literally true. It has to get across the truth of the situation. Mm-hmm. So Spielberg, one of the big things he gets credit for with World War, or with uh, uh, Saving Private Ryan, mm. even though it's based on true events, the events are not literally true, but they are functionally true. Mm-hmm. And he managed to capture what it was like to be in World War II so much, like to be at Normandy Beach, to be in... Uh, these towns and these and these missions that they would these soldiers would go on to the point that when veterans of World War II saw the film, mm-hmm. they were so transported. I, I don't want to use the word triggered necessarily because it's it's a little different. Some of them, I'm sure, were PTSD is a very strong and thing, a very real thing. Yes. Yeah, but many of them complimented in like awe of his work because they're like, that's what it was like. Mm-hmm. It's not the the glory and the like hoorah yay America that we see in films of, from the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Right. This was 
really capturing what it was like to be there. So with abuse, what this is this does that mm-hmm. is what I'm trying to get across is that it really does get across what it's like to be abused. Yes. And I also for think, better or worse. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very effective use. Very of, effective. It's like and very I do feel directing. like, regardless of anyone's like personal history or anything related to abuse, I think that I don't know. I just think we all have an understanding to a certain degree of like yeah. what that is. Yeah, and this shows definitely the physical side of it, but also the emotive side. The of emotive it. side, I think, yeah. is really powerful. Absolutely. So yeah. Then. Oh, then it goes into the scene of him with the woman in the bathtub and mm-hmm. he's like taking out her organs. We yep. see that we see him from the back. Yeah. She walks into the room and oh yes, it's adult Starger now. Just to help keep that a little clearer, yes. yeah. <laughs> Cuz that was child and now we have adults and mm-hmm. then we have king. So we have yeah. Mhm. Um, ego ego Also side note, yeah. this is like the exact same set and room that Losing My Religion by R.E.M. was filmed in. And who directed that? Tarsen Singh. Tarsen Singh. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's a little fun fact. Yeah. But we have the first moment where J.Lo, Catherine, is able to like actually talk to adult Carl mm-hmm. and try to get some answers about right. Julia, the girl that is missing, that still needs to be found. Yeah, she's really trying to, she's like pressing him. She's like very, in a very soft way, mm-hmm. but really just wants to like, come on, dude, I need this information. Mm-hmm. I'm trying, trying to help to you. Trying to comfort him, saying like what your father did to you is wrong and mm-hmm. evil. He gets a little defensive and yeah. sort of like, what kind of world do you live in? Like, yeah. how dare you tell me, blah, blah, blah. You see the um, iron burn on his chest, which uh, is such, just good. That's just good production design. Totally. I, lo- I saw that th- this time and I was like, is that a tattoo? Oh, no. Yeah, because they don't talk about it or mention it's it not ever mentioned. again. It's so just it's shown, really and I love that. He goes back into talking about his baptism, and we find out that actually his father basically drowned him. Yeah, almost to the point of death. Mm-hmm. Then they get home, and he like breaks three of his ribs and yeah. breaks his jaw and all of this sort of stuff. And it's heartbreaking because he's all he's still standing up for his father. Yeah, too. He's still like which is the not other wanting to think of his father as a bad man. And ultimately, her pushing him and saying he's a bad man is what kind of triggers him to not want to talk to her anymore. Exactly. And also makes him go into... Which she should know better as a social worker. Yeah. That was one of those moments of, like, I've had so many friends who work in social work. One of our friends, Megan, is a, mm-hmm. a social worker, in, or is a, uh, in school to be one. And it's... Yeah, it's like one I think of those she just no-nos gets frustrated. Like, and which she, is fair. Yeah, and she, like, it overtakes her mm-hmm. um, in the moment. And then he transforms into super ego King Sarger. And they just refer to that in plot analysis in the plot analysis, and I just like it. It's yeah, solid. I like it. It's a good character name. He does like a backwards like thing from the corner of the yeah. wall, which oh, is it's really so cool. <laughs> um, and oh my god, and he has like a the horns with his own with hair. With his own hair, yeah. That I was watching Unreal. It's so good too. So good. This is definitely like all theater, the unsettling. Mm-hmm. There's so much of that, uh, which mm-hmm. is cool to see. Uh, I'm going to bring some of that up later, but yeah, it's it's a cool thing. And so then at that point, though, she's like, she's gone. Where she's like going down and he's over top of her. Yes. And it's this very, again, you get to see Vincent D'Onofrio's size and that's used very, very well in this mm-hmm. moment. Because he's ooh, like crawling just... over her. Mm-hmm. It's like this 
I could hear Nine Inch Nails. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. I could, li- I, like, I closer started playing in my head while I was watching this, uh-huh. and I was like, oh, I don't like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't like that at all. So she completely gets taken over mentally, right. physically, emo- like, she's a shell at Which that point. Which leads to one of my favorite looks of hers in this movie. It is unbelievably cool we love an anti-character like when they go from good to bad in their look it's so good so good so basically we then see her so epic but she's in a round bed Mm -hmm. with like a canopy yeah very like extravagant and right like luscious colors oh it's beautiful the color grading yeah is just out of this world it's and strong like everything blacks is and like, reds going on yeah it's creamy somehow mm-hmm. it's golden the light's amazing she is wearing this like silver mask with chains on it yeah and she just has like the emptiest look on her face mm-hmm. and we see oh oh too. but this is also the point when she needs to be saved yes so also um another Vince Vaughn comes in to sort of like rescue her yeah. in this way because they're looking at her vitals she's like lost they, they that's what the i keep calling him doc connors in my head it's the the <laughs> male scientist he played uh dr kurt connors in oh. sam raimi's spider-man series oh okay that's right i was like looking up where i knew him from. is it I was, like, jake weber that sounds right okay yeah it is hard to talk about this movie because there are so many visual things like mm-hmm. going on that it's yeah like, we can always circle back to him, though. We've, we've got a whole lot of visual oh, shit to talk okay, about. Okay, okay, okay. I won't go back then. It's we'll okay. just keep going forward. Yeah, yeah. So, just um, like through the dream. got to keep pressing through. <laughs> so then Vincent comes in, tries to talk to her, but the way that they've done the audio, it's like he's muffled. Mm-hmm. You can't really hear what he's trying to say. Yeah, she tries to seduce too. him, yeah. sort of. She also has like a big, huge plastic neck brace that yeah. is chained to the bed. I read that as the collars that the collar. Uh, yeah. That D'Onofrio puts on his victims. Mm-hmm. That that's like Yeah. The mirror there. Absolutely. Because it has um, these like weird when you when we see him put it on her, it has these like weird studs in it that like definitely would cause Yeah. Anyway. Absolutely. One note that I did find by the costume designer, mm-hmm. um, a note on that costume specifically. She said she essentially became a sex toy. She right. had to look erotic and uncomfortable at the same time. Jennifer asked me if I could make the collar more comfortable, and I said, no, you're supposed to be tortured. Damn. Right? So that's the general mood. Yeah. <laughs> Mixed feelings on that, but... Yeah. Then King Yeah, King Sarger comes, comes in, yeah. So Vince Vaughn's captured he's chained down the king comes in and one of my favorite gore moments mm-hmm. this is where i start calling the movie um hellraiser because mm. it's a very hellraiser it's a very clive barker yeah moment. definitely so he is like doing this like manic like laughter just like fully gone and like mocking him and another great acting moment from vincent d'onofrio mm-hmm. just like Cause this like childish glee in his face while he's mocking him, and you see this like gross. It doesn't even look like blood. It looks like a, it looks like jelly. Or yeah, something. like it's just viscera. Yeah, just like black viscera. Totally. And he like digs out one of his like, string of his intestines, puts it on this little barbed wire. Yeah. Type spigot. Yeah, thing? and then he starts rotisserie. winding it. Yeah, it's a rotisserie. Yeah. Yeah. But he starts winding it like a jack in the box and singing to mm-hmm. himself and doing a little thing and like, yeah. 
And Vince Vaughn is, is saying to himself, like, it's not real. It's not real. And it's not, uh, it's not real. He's it's like not moxie. real. Yeah. Me. It's so good. It's such and an amazing And his tiny moment. teeth. Mm-hmm. He has such tiny teeth. His tiny little teeth. And it just makes it so much creepier. Every bit of his costuming and acting work in concert. Oh, and it's outfit. perfect. That outfit. Mm-hmm. This is like the Monkey King outfit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. He's doing that. Vince Vaughn's trying to convince J-Lo to come out, snap out of it, do mm-hmm. yada, yada, yada. She does, because he, he mentions something from her past, which the scientist has said, like, hey, you've read her file. Remind her that this is not the real world, that there is a real world, mm-hmm. and that this thing happened. And he, I really love this line that he apologizes to mm-hmm. her. He said, I'm yeah. sorry to remind you of that, but I have to but help I, you. Yeah, but I need you to yeah. snap out of it right now and then again just a good writing moment it's, it's yeah. one of those things of like no one would th- not many people think to do that of like have your characters apologize for doing <laughs> shitty things that they know were to shitty to bring up trauma yeah yeah, yeah. totally <laughs> and it's wonderful it's a really nice thing that he just I, I, I noticed that and I was like fuck that's just it doesn't take any extra time to do that but it makes your character so much richer absolutely I'm so tired of seeing asshole characters do asshole things and just know that they're asshole things and not apologize for being an they asshole they don't give a shit about it because it takes two seconds to say I understand what I'm doing is wrong but it is right Overall, I'm doing a wrong right. thing for a right reason, and I acknowledge that that's not great, but here we are. It's the acknowledgement. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes two seconds. It's a one line of dialogue, and it changes that character so significantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we cut away to her face mm-hmm. that was dead inside. Right. That is slowly, it's so slowly pale coming like, back yeah. to life. And you just see like a single tear, and then I don't know. I just feel like her face acting. She does a very good job. Was really great. Fun fact: I'm pretty sure there's a word for face acting, but no one I talk to whose business it is to know it knows it. Really? I don't know it. Nicole doesn't know it. I'm not going to name other names, but we've both (laughs) said face acting so many fucking times, and I say it all the time. I'm sure there's some like theory word for it, and I just don't know it. I know all the other ones, but not this one. Oh man, (laughs) there must be. There has to be. I just call it physicality in general because yeah. that's that refers to what you do with your body, but your face is part of your body, and mm-hmm. so I think it mm-hmm. just falls into the realm of physicality for me. And I will specifically say face if I mean face. Yeah. But like, yeah, good physical work by Jennifer Lopez here. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of thoughts about her as an actor, and we'll get to those. We can but, get to that. Yeah. <laughs> so I just want to give one little shout out to Joseph because the scene with the the barbed wire rotisserie. Uh-huh. We talked about how it's gore with intention. Yeah. And Joseph was like, Look at y'all. loves to say that. Yeah. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Thank I you, do. And I, and I do feel like that is a really good moment with that. Because this film is, there are so many like horrifying moments, but there yeah. isn't a lot of gore necessarily speaking. There's a decent amount, but it's not. It is, I was, it's funny that you bring up Joseph and Gore intention because I literally said that out loud to myself today. You did? <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. Because I talk, like, if I'm watching a film alone, I talk to myself so I can, like, it helps yeah. me record the thoughts better. And I don't really like typing on my phone while I'm trying to watch a that movie. Makes sense. yeah. Because I want to engage, and, like, I'll be looking up other things on it. Like, mm-hmm. I will be, you know, up and down with the screen because I'm a, a millennial. Uh, totally. But the screen is always, when I'm watching a movie that I've seen before, it's always research. Mm-hmm. So I don't end up taking a lot of notes. Like I do sometimes, like if it's something that I really want to dive deep on the plot on, I just like I'll handwrite notes because I can do that without looking. Mm. Thank you, high school and college for teaching me that <laughs> skill. It's weirdly useful. But so, also weirdly weird to watch people do it. Yeah. 
Oh, it's a it's creepy. <laughs> it's kind of uh, a creepy I'm absolutely thing to writing watch people it. In, do. I've been writing it into a script I've been working on because I know how creepy it looks. Yeah, that's it was, really interesting. Actually. Yeah, my brain's a bag of cats. It's okay, uh, I love it. <laughs> but yeah, go with so... intention. Definitely a lot of that through this movie, and I really love it. Mm-hmm. So now she turns on Starger after this moment. Yes. This is the, the big... She stabs him. Yeah, right the through back. the shoulder. Yeah. After that, she then decides to reverse the feed. That's right. Yes, Against because... Against the will of... Novak, that's Vincent, Vince Vaughn's character, right? Yes. Yeah, so he goes... He jumps out because he sees the thing. Because mm-hmm. they have the moment with the pool and everything like that in the in the cell, and he sees the the thing that solves the mystery. Oh yeah, yeah, that's and right. And we see a little baby Starger in the corner, and he exits, and King Starger is back at that moment. Mm-hmm. We see him like do the backwards thing again, into view, yeah. and steal young Carl away. Yes. Yeah. There's a video game reference here that I kept thinking of when he kept doing that between his outfitting and also. The way he moves, there's this fighting game series called Soul Calibur. Oh my god, I love Soul Calibur. You know Valdo? <laughs> yes, I do. It's Valdo as oh fuck. Oh my god. I don't know a lot of video game references, but this is one I do know. Soul Calibur is crazy. Oh I love god. it so much. That and what a wild game. Fantastic. Because that yeah. character was inspired by Pinhead from oh. Hellraiser mixed with a contortionist because they wanted to make a really creepy character. And they're like, what if we combine those two things? And apparently, like, parallel thinking moment. Yes. Tarson sings of the same thing. Wow. Because this is clearly very, like I said earlier, this is very Clyde Barker influenced. Like, right. spe- particularly Hellraiser with the body horror and the gore and all of that. Mm-hmm. But the, ty- and the specific type of gore that it uses is very, very Hellraiser. Wow. Like, with the horse getting separated mm-hmm. into, like, 11, 12 pieces. Mm-hmm. In the first dive, and then the body movement and the intestines on the jack in the box, mm. and all of those moments are very, very Hellraiser mm-hmm. specifically. Yeah, that's wow. just my that's, fun, like, no, that's horror history great, moment. I love that. Yeah. I would have never connected that, but now it makes so much sense. So, anyway, he finds the clue, escapes mm-hmm. from the dream. The clue, uh, let's just specify the clue that he sees <laughs> it's the is. Uh, fucking thing. Is, <laughs> this is so dumb. Okay, so very. Just very briefly, very early when they're starting the investigation, we as a viewer see the symbol right many times. Like right. they go out of their way to like make it it's a, a point. It's very hit over the head. It's like yeah. there's a shot of the table with the symbol. Then there's like the photographs from the crime scene yeah. of the table that we then see again. <laughs> and so in this last round of them being in the subconscious they see this woman floating in a, in a box in a right. cell in water and then all over that box is this symbol repeated mm-hmm. over and over again so then vince vaughn's character finally connects the dots and right. it sees the symbol and is like oh i remember that yeah. from the table that i saw like so long ago that mm-hmm. like if they just remembered that and investigated that. There's no movie. There would be no movie. Yeah. But um, <laughs> or it would have been like a 45 minute long movie <laughs> at most. Yeah, uh, J Lo's character wouldn't even been involved. Oh, at not, all. E- not at all. It just would have been a normal investigation. <laughs> yeah, it would have just been like a. Yeah. It would have been seven. Yeah, totally. It would have been. So yeah. So after that, then he's like, "I gotta go," and then he yeah goes and. This is where his plot gets not important and hers does like we do this sort of back and forth of like mm-hmm. whose plot matters more because I'm not sure who the protagonist is in this movie That's a it's, good point. I think we're told it's J-Lo but it's 
both hers and Vince Vaughn's movie. But then also Carl. Yeah, because he has a he has a redemption arc too, and mm-hmm. it's yeah. So let's just dive into that real quick. Yes. So she reverses the feed. They get pissed off at her, but mm-hmm. it's the things that she wanted to try from the beginning of the movie, and she brings young Carl into her mind. Right. And it's this beautiful, just serene garden. Mm-hmm. She's dressed like the Virgin Mary. Yes, very There's clear religious peahen. iconography. Yeah. S- uh, albino swan or a peacock. peacock yeah yeah it's like she made it to be serene and calm for this young boy and they are chatting and trying he tells her the story of the bird the, the hurt bird when he was a kid that he found and he mercy killed it because his father would have done worse things mm-hmm. and then king starger shows back up and there's the well final the conf- little carl kind of want like is basically asking mm-hmm. Catherine, like can you do the same thing for me yeah like, can you please drown me and take me out of my misery mm-hmm. um and she's like i can't do that yeah and then he's like it doesn't matter because he'll find me he always finds me yeah and then that's when it like gets really dark and then yeah. like the big the king starger comes in wearing like a black Again, the looks. The it's looks. Like... <laughs> so many good looks throughout this. It just moving really quickly and like kind of moving throughout the space. Yeah. But then there's a really good moment where J-Lo is like, um, excuse me, you're going to be in my reality. You in my house. I'm going to fuck My house, you up. my rules. <laughs> and she like has her own costume change. Right. Is dressed in all black, becomes like... Warrior princess. Warrior princess. It's very has a Zena. crossbow. Yeah. Little hand crossbow. Just like, yeah. beep, beep. And um, takes his ass out. Starts shooting at him. Basically has like a crucifixion moment. Shoots yes. him in the foot. Um, then he falls. Then he sh- she shoots him in both hands. Right. And he has nipple piercings with like a bar that connects the piercings and then she just fucking rips that shit off but it's not even fast it's a slow rip slow and you see the skin stretching and breaking and it's so great it's it's such good gore (sighs) didn't that's the one without it like it's not i'm not sure what the intention is there i think that there is some but it's not strong uh it's just a dope shot yeah and you know what those are allowed (laughs) there's only one yeah. You know, they don't overdo it. Yeah. It's just the one, just for pleasure's sake, mm-hmm. in a fucked up way. A little of fucked up, as a treat. As a for treat. For Tarsum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then she pulls the sword out from behind her back as he's, like, mocking her, and he's like, I can win, I can win, yada, yada. He's like, this doesn't matter, like, I'll still exist like i'm good i'm this is fine mm-hmm. i'm into this he also mocks her again by saying like it's not real yeah so then she stabs him and then she re- like is beats the shit out of him too big old like it's that superhero losing his cool moment but for j-lo and i love that because again this is Nadia and i talked about this a lot in the annihilation episode but there's these we've talked about it in other parts of the podcast but there's like things that women can do in film that there are things that women are allowed to do in film and that they're not allowed to do mm-hmm. and one of the weird things you're not allowed to do is beat the shit out of somebody absolutely yeah uh, and all of this is tied to like sexist perceptions of women and why and all of that listen to the Bechdel cast they're amazing they are the ones who like really helped me deep like listening to them and then launching off from that and doing my own deep dives into stuff like this and uh, also Feminist Frequency from Anita Car- Sarkeesian Ooh. both have really good dives on these like consistently throughout like they bring this up a lot okay. um, and they they are much better at talking about it than I am but it's just a cool, it's a really nice power moment where it's not the I'm a cool girl who can kick 
mm-hmm. thing. It's not the Trinity from the Matrix thing. It's like look what I can do. Yeah, it's it's not it's not like one of the boys moments. It's just a moment of power. Mm-hmm. And lose and also a moment of losing her cool because she sees that it's happening to young Carl. I think the realization of her like her saying like my world, my rules, yeah. it's like finally the realization that like she actually is the one that holds power in right. the situation. Whereas the whole other times that she's experienced with him, it's been at his mercy almost. Yeah. So Yeah. She's always been working with one hand tied behind her back at least. Yeah. But then, yeah, she sees it's happening to young Carl, and she goes over to him, comforts him in his final moments, and he kind of, like... Well, she realizes that what she just did to King Starger, Mm -hmm. she also did to Boy Starger. Right, they're all connected. Um, They're all the same. And there's a good D'Onofrio moment where he's just covered in blood, and there's, like, blood on his eyes. And his mouth is all And he's just like, I got Boy... Yeah. Boy, me, got. And mm-hmm. like, that's the last thing that he says. Ugh. So eventually she takes young Carl in her arms and does what he mm-hmm. wanted her to do all along. Walks him to the pool and drowns him. Gently drowns him. And then we cut back to the real world and we see real world starter like seizing and then die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, while he's suspended in the, the weird muscle suit. Mm-hmm. He's hyperventilating, yeah. and that little tissue on his face yep. is just moving up and down. And then we eventually just see his body relax, yeah. and we know that he's actually dead in real life, too. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, Vince Vaughn saves the young woman who was in the cell. And there's some, there's some nice moments there, but it's not like... That's just the end of his storyline. Like, yeah, that's, it's so not like... He basically finds the symbol, knows who to call. They figure out where the, the table is from, and yeah. they figure out where it's where it is. And he sees the trap door finally, like, in the on the ground covered with dirt. He yeah. goes in, shoots the glass. She's breathing on the pipe. Being She's breathing on the pipe. And shoots the glass, she, it breaks it up, gets the... Big old pipe smashes it, saves her. Yep. There's some nice shots there of like him comforting her too, because he mentions at some point that he's also kind of from like a social background. Mm-hmm. Like he, he's not explicitly social work. He was a DA. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. So he was like he he was trying to be like save people and help people and or he was maybe but he a public lost a case advocate. Yeah. And because of bad evidence. Yeah. Yeah. So we see that he's also a compassionate person. We see that in that moment in the dreamscape where he apologizes for bringing up trauma. And yeah, so we it's it's just a nice sort of bow to tie on mm-hmm, it on that mm-hmm. character. It's not an arc; it's just who he is. Mm-hmm. Which is why I think he's not the protagonist, even though the movie frames him kind of like that. There's there's three protagonists. There's three movies. I just yeah, yeah. I think it's three movies. <laughs> and then, then we see uh, J Lo adopted his dog. Yes. Which I'm curious about how you feel about that. It's kind of a weird I, thing to I, do. I, I, yeah, I don't. I'm curious um, about how I feel about it. I'm still <laughs> trying to figure it out. And she visits Vince Vaughn at mm-hmm. his house because she also wants to see his house. Yeah. She has sort of, like, fallen in love with him. Like, yeah. not romantically, but just, like, she cares about him a right. lot. Right. There's a, there's a shared respect that yeah. borders on love there. It's not a very well-written story in that no. part. It feels very much like, oh, two hetero people are in a movie together. Might as well make them kiss. But they don't. They hug. That's true. I think he wanted... Too, but she never did. Oh, he want that smoochy. Oh, yeah, definitely. He want that big old smooch. I mean, it's J Lo. And then it just ends with her. We have the the, the looking yeah. forward of her with the the boy again, because now they're trusting her to do the reverse procedure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the last scene is her reverse the feed and yeah. 
the boy she was originally helping is now in her world and mm-hmm. it's sort of an optimistic end oh like, definitely things are things have kind of gone the way she wanted and now yeah. like hopefully happy endings all around yeah that's it that's it <laughs> <All right. laughs> that's the cell yeah i do really like this movie and like it's one of those movies that i watch and i go it's fine and then i discuss it and i'm like nah it's good yeah it's good. not the best movie i've ever seen at all like you said like it's not i would never recommend this on a plot basis to anybody I don't think it's a fun or it's a, it's a mildly interesting story, but it's not the best story ever. It's not. It's not the reason why I like this. Movie. No, and the standout acting is Vincent D'Onofrio. I think Jayla's very competent in this. I think Vince Vaughn's pretty good in this, mm-hmm. but D'Onofrio just like overpowers it, and it, he, he's he just brings so much power to a scene that you really have to. It's match unbelievable energy. too, because I think if you count up all of the minutes that he's even in the movie, mm-hmm. it's probably like 30 minutes yeah if there is any reason to see this movie it is vincent d'onofrio it's just it a is great performance. the costumes yeah it is the visuals yeah so we should talk about the visuals a bunch and uh, we will talk about the visuals so, what's, so the, well i was gonna say like one of the reasons i wanted to have you on specifically for this movie is one that you brought it up and you love this movie mm-hmm. two your background i mean you can say a few words about it like it your art in general, but you have a you have a yeah. lot of. I have two degrees in art. Yeah, that's a lot <laughs> um, of degrees in art. It is. I only have like one and change in philosophy. That's fine. I mean, that's because I quit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for me, like, I'm a little like of this such. This is such a visual movie that this is part. This is almost entirely why it's so important to me. And what's fun for me in movies that are so visually driven like this is really researching and kind of picking apart the influences and sort of where these visuals come from because, you know, we don't exist in a vacuum and all of these things are adopted and adapted and there's a few that I would like to mention. Yeah. So the first time that Catherine J. Lowe's character goes into his mind... We see a sewer type Mm -hmm. scene that's really large and full of metal and water and all of these sorts of materials. And I did some research and there's an artist. His name is H.R. Geiger. Oh, yeah. He was on the special effects team that won the Academy Award for design on the Mm -hmm. film. So he makes a lot of drawings and art. Uh, airbrush drawings and his art has like greatly influenced the world of tattoos and fetish and has like that cyberpunk kind of feel to his work yeah he's kind of the one him and uh i don't remember who did uh production and set design for blade runner Mm. but basically those two aesthetics are what created what we call cyberpunk Mm mm-hmm Yeah, so he's definitely a huge influence on that style. Yeah. So basically that scene of her falling in for the first time and when she sees, she goes into the other room and sees Carl, young Carl, running Mm -hmm. up the stairs, those two environments are directly taken from two drawings of H.R. Geiger's, which is really cool. I can feel that, yeah. You can look up, um, I mean, I'm going to totally butcher this, but it's called... Schacht, C S C H A C H T. Schacht. Schacht. Sounds right. Schacht. That that's one, and Shaft 
number seven. Okay. So if you wanted to look those up and see like direct sort of side by sides, that's really, I'm, I'm into that. Hell yes. Yeah, no, no. I love that. I already mentioned the Nine Inch Nails video, mm-hmm. um, but that's uh, huge in certain scenes. The horse that we see once young um, yeah. Carl goes up the stairs and we see this horse in this room. Can I guess? Sure. Is it Magritte? No. Oh. But I do, th- I mean, that's the thing is I do think all of these surrealistic elements yeah. can like kind of be layered on top of each other. And But there is ver- one sort of very specific artist that was really famous around that time. Maybe you could guess. He's a British artist. He is technically the richest living artist from the UK. Banksy? No, um, it's <laughs> Damien Hirst. Oh, no shit. Yeah. 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 So... I can't believe I blanked on that. (laughs) No, it's okay. Like, so all of his work, like death is a central theme in all of his work. And he usually uses animals and taxidermy Mm -hmm. and uh, that sort of thing. But there is a particular piece and it has the most like pretentious name ever. It's like... Yes. Now I know the reference you're making. The physical impossibility of death in the mind of someone living Mm -hmm. is the name of this piece. (laughs) The name runs up its own ass, out its mouth, and then up again. I mean, he is generally. Yeah. (laughs) um, That makes sense for him. Yeah. But the piece, and maybe you're familiar with it because it was really famous. It's a shark in formaldehyde. But the way that the tank is constructed, it's actually uh, trisected, I guess, into Mm -hmm. three pieces. So it right, looks yeah. like the shark is separated the same way that the horse is right. in the movie. So that's a fun. Yeah, no, that's definitely there. that's exactly what that is. I yeah. Damn, because I went straight for the Magritte reference because there's I can't remember the name of the piece, but there is one where there's like bisected something or other. I think mm-hmm. it's I think it's it's not a horse. It's some sort of animal that's like bisected, and you have like these mirrored layers. Yeah, yeah, and as yeah. And yeah. it like you run, and it's like painted at perspective. I can't think of what yeah, it is. I can't think of that either, but it's definitely like yeah. here at the it's, it's, front, it's, forefront yeah. of my mind. Because I was thinking about the tone. Um, so when I'm looking at like, when I see something with a lot of really cool cinematography, a lot of really cool post-production and in-camera work as well, I immediately just like, I start researching and I'm already in love with it because mm. I, I, my first and like first and foremost, my, my love for film comes in through the production side like i mm-hmm. that's that's why i like writing and directing particularly i like work like directing and working with good cinematographers and directors of photography like it's just what i get really passionate about is seeing films that take the time to look good because otherwise just put it on a fucking stage mm-hmm. honestly if you're gonna do something that doesn't look that doesn't use the medium to its advantage why I get, I get very angry at like bad cinematography or like totally. bo- actually I get more I get angry at boring cinematography and mm-hmm. boring shots and like so when I watch for something like this I I start just looking for all the references because I know that somebody who's doing this has studied their shit. You um, can tell. You don't do it by accident. Exactly. So with this I immediately like just the tone just felt very Magritte to me. Because um, mm-hmm. he has that really bright tone to things, but it hits in this very dark way. Yes. Because I always read, a, I've always read a very, like a strong darkness to him behind, then like that very like. High, I mean, a lot of surrealism. Yeah. Honestly, is. Because he didn't have that. that like sort of like I'm trying to think of the name of the name of it, but it's it's not a chiaroscuro, but it's like a like a washed tone that like Dali has in a lot of his work. Mm-hmm. Like um, not even again in Annihilation, we talked about the impossibility of memory. 
wait, is that, no, what's the... The Persistence of Memory? Persistence of Memory, sorry, yeah, I got, <laughs> I can, like, mm-hmm. uh, portmanteau the two titles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the yeah, Melting of, Clocks. Yeah, so Persistence Dolly. of Memory has this, it has a haze yes. to it. And it's interesting because usually in a dreamscape you would use haze to insinuate that it just gives a, the brain a visual cue that this isn't real because we tend to think that the real world is clearer than the theater of the minds. To yes. use a, to, uh, um, I'll be up my ass now and use Cartesian references, which is a cool way of saying Descartes. <laughs> I love theater of the mind, though. It's yeah. A good, it's a good sentence. It's it's a great term. And then you start talking about homunculi, and then you start talking about Full Metal Alchemist, and we're in a completely different podcast. Uh, <laughs> I love that show. All the places you'll go. Yeah. Anyway, so it's nice to see someone use a very clear filter to the point that it's, it's like it's definitely filtered because it's so crisp like a normal shot wouldn't look like that so it is filtered and i'm not sure what he was using yeah. equipment wise but yeah like i said that color grading i don't know it's like a saturation yeah so one of my favorite visual moments yeah is when vince vaughn goes in mm-hmm. and he's like in a puddle face down then he turns to look over and it's sort of like a weird beachy desert scene as if like the worst storm you've ever seen is about to roll in yeah and there and the sand is combed in this way that it's like there are small triangles how do you describe that it's like rose it's just like tessellation isn't it i guess is that what you'd say well, a repetition of shapes over a area, isn't that just essentially what tessellations are? Yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah. So then there's three women who are sitting, like we see a side view of these three women. Yeah. And they are all wearing black and have like black caps on and their body, they're holding their knees sitting and they're staring up at the sky with their mouths fully open. Yeah. And there's three of them and they're all doing that and it's just silent. And so we just watch Vince Vaughn watch these women and there's like tension building because you don't really Mm -hmm. know what's about to happen. And then one by one, they slowly turn to the camera essentially and say a small like monologue which is the first woman says have you seen him my boy my little one his father took him from me the second one says i spit it out my hole no big deal and then the third one says my child's an abomination he has no soul so it's sort of like the three versions of what his mother could be Mm -hmm. so like the first one is like like pining for her little boy and it's not her fault that she's not around because he was taken. The second one is apathy, like straight apathy. And then the third one is just abuse. Yeah. And so that imagery is taken basically directly from a painting called Dawn. Okay. And it's by a Norwegian painter and his name is Odd Nerdrum. It was made in 1989. And so it was pretty recent at the time of this. It was yeah. like 11 years, 10, 11 years before, yeah. But it's originally of four men, and they're turned the opposite direction. Okay. So that's sort of an interesting flip yeah. on it. And basically what happened is David Bowie saw this painting in a gallery when he was traveling. Mm-hmm. 
and fell in love with it, immediately bought it. Fuck yeah. So David Bowie owned this painting. And apparently, Tarsum and Bowie were just friends. <laughs> that checks out. And they like, I, I just like have no problem believing that. <laughs> <laughs> they somehow met when Bowie was on tour or something in Oslo. Yeah. And Tarsum went to his house and saw the painting on the wall and immediately like needed to use it in this yeah. film. So I just feel like that's so cool. It's also nice knowing that I'm not alone in doing shit like that, where I'm like, oh, no, no, I've got to use this now. Yeah. That I'm in good company with other directors on doing that. <laughs> like, no, I saw this thing, and I've just got to make a whole project out of it now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Figure out where it fits in. Because mm-hmm. I was when I saw that scene, all I could think of, because it, it elicits like ideas of like the fates and the furies. Oh, yeah. Because it's three women, and also, I guess, the, the witches from Macbeth. Yeah. Where you have, it was less of them because... Like, I guess when they speak, but I was thinking, yeah, the Fates and the Fates and the Furies from Greek mythology. Because mm-hmm. uh, I'm always watching for mythology shit. That's like, that's how I read a yeah. lot of my things. And a lot of people do too. And I know that Tarsum, again, is a, I think I said this earlier, but he's very steeped in mythology too. Absolutely. Because the reference at the beginning of the film, when we, the very first shot that we get, which is JLo inside the young boy's mind, yeah. Edward's mind, is a Garden of Bones shot. Oh, Yeah. Which is a sort of classic notion in, in a lot of different mythologies across the world. Is this idea of a garden of bones, and Neil Gaiman uses it significantly in mm-hmm. American Gods. Mm-hmm. But a garden of bones is essentially like petrified trees or like dead trees in a desert. And there's all these stories around them and what they mean and all of that. And it's uh, not clear how real some of them are. Like, like, did you actually find these dead forests in the middle of the desert, or is right. it something that, you, or was it something that was created out of uh, just mythologizing? But mm-hmm. it's a it's a frequent reference, and we talked about it again. It's annihil- an, in annihilation. There's a lot of similarities between these these two movies, yeah. and it's the one we just talked about mm-hmm. like two weeks ago. So I just like it's on my brain. But yeah, in, ter- in terms of like visual storytelling, there's a lot of similarities between those two, and so you, it's fun to see the crossed over references because there's also a lot of references to classical paintings in, Abs- uh, in yeah. uh, all mm-hmm. of Alex Garland's work. Yes. Uh, and you see some of it in Danny Boyle, but it's more when Garland actually takes over. Is that when you really get that? Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. I found a fun word you might know. I love fun words. Let's go. Neolo... Wait. Neologism? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Neologism. A non-cinematic influence on a film's aesthetic, especially visual. Yeah. Just new ways of using words and Mm -hmm. uh, logos, right? Yeah. So it's not literally words. It's... So yeah. it's just a it's a nice word that wraps up exactly what we're talking about in this mm-hmm. way where it's all of these other influences art historical, mythological, yeah, scientific, sci-fi, cyberpunk, like all of these things can kind of come and influence a film just as deeply as like character development or Absolutely. all of these other things. So it's yeah i think one of the reasons i love this film is because it does show i've talked before about people who showed up and did the damn job Mm -hmm. this is not one of those movies where everybody came to work knowing exactly what the project was that's that's very clear from everybody in it that Mm -hmm. i think like d'onofrio was the only one who knew exactly what this movie was (laughs) and did it and it shows yeah Mm-hmm. But he did his fucking homework, and Tarsum did his fucking homework, and the DP did his fucking homework. Like everybody on the production side knew exactly where they were coming from, and what they all had a very clear vision. The actors, not so much, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. It happens. Actors are notoriously difficult to control. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Uh, well, <laughs> big yeah. sigh. Yeah. I've, I've been very lucky to actually I, I myself I've been very lucky to work with mostly really great actors I've had a mm-hmm. few problem ones here and there but that always happens but 
I have been around other actors and have worked with other directors and writers who have had a problem with actors. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) And as an actor, I worked with other actors that were not committed or didn't get the vision. And I understand the frustration that can, that can cause. So I'm happy that this movie came out as well as it did knowing that it couldn't have been the best on set situation. Mm -hmm. But no, this is one that definitely the production side and at least one actor knew exactly what they were doing. And I think, I think Vince Vaughn and JLo do a a decent job here. I've been watching a lot of JLo movies lately. Oh, you for some have. reason, yeah, I watched Hustlers a week or two ago. I still haven't seen it. It's so fucking good. Oh, oh my god, it's so fucking good. I cannot wait. It's amazing. No, I'm I'm big into that movie, and it is. And she looks exactly the same. Yes or no? Much. Like I people say that, but I like watching her in this, and then seeing her like Selena is another movie that comes up a lot because it's Nicole's Selena's favorite movie, great. yeah, and it's one of mine. I absolutely love that movie, it's a and great movie. I would love to sit down and talk about how well that movie was made someday with somebody that is actually on mic and not just to Nicole at like four o'clock in the morning when we usually have that conversation. <laughs> would you say J Lo is an underrated actor? I think she was underutilized, and I think we wasted a lot of her best acting years putting her in shit like Made in Manhattan. Maybe she wanted to do that, but I kind of doubt that that was her and not her agent or management. Probably. Because she would do these cool projects. Like, Selena is a cool project. It's a biopic about somebody who's a major figure, and you are taking Mm. on a lot of fucking criticism. Anybody who was going to be in that role was going to be just ruined. Yep. But she wasn't. She fucking killed it. Yep. And then doing this. This is a weird project. It's a directorial debut with an acting legend and a guy who is another hot commodity at the time. And you are seeing, like, she would, I think there's no one took her seriously. This is going to get into a broader thing about Mm -hmm. um, how women aren't taken seriously. There's a few actors like this. Uh, Winona Ryder was like this. Yes. To me. Uh, I think both of them had very similar careers where it was like, you put them in all the wrong fucking projects. They got to do the cool shit early on and would do things here and there, but they didn't have the careers that they should have had. And they're both having renaissances in the last few years. But putting them in this, like, putting them in schlock was always the wrong choice. Put them in contact with David fucking Lynch. Dear God. Abs- oh my God, I would love to see I would have that. loved to have seen anything with J-Lo and David Lynch. Are you kidding me? That would have been cool. <sighs> it would have been weird and interesting. Put her with fucking uh, Danny Boyle or... Uh, uh, David Fincher, like, I don't love Fincher himself, but it, I'm pretty sure but I would have... what would happen? Yeah, there's you know, all these amazing directors who are working at this time. Like, this was a cool time for new, interesting directors, and you just gave away someone's career to put them in a bunch of fucking boring ass... Like, I just... love rom-coms. They're one of my favorite genres of movie, even though I'm pretty sure most of them qualify as horror. If we were to do a bunch of rom-coms on horror or not, they'd basically all fucking pass. Wow. That's amazing. I do love rom-coms, but, like, I would have really loved to see J-Lo be an art darling. I think there was a real career for her there. Mm -hmm. At least putting her in, like, serious dramas and shit. Because I think she's as good an actor as, like, Angelina Jolie. Absolutely. I think she would have done very well. Yeah, but because she's a hot girl who's not weird in real life... She's just Ginny from the Bronx. Sorry, the song is Ginny from the Block. That's my mistake. I know better. But, but by yeah. putting her in these like soft girl roles because she's a soft girl in real life is like, well, that's not... This is this gets back to that whole method thing. Like, I'm pretty sure the only reason Angelina Jolie got a bunch of those roles is not because she's an incredible actor. She's fine. I have no problems with her acting. I think it's, it's better than most, not as good as the rest. Mm-hmm. But 
it was because she was fucking weird in her real life that people were like, oh, then we just cast the person who's weird in real life in serious roles, and we cast the person who's normal in real life in non-serious roles. And I'm, again, I'm using language that I don't love to talk mm-hmm. about that. R- romance can, should, can and should be taken seriously. It's a great genre, but we don't take we as a society do not take rom-coms seriously. They are seen as fluff and schlock. And putting her in those, I think, is a mistake. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, like my rant about no, why I, her career should be I more. really agree with all of what you just said because it's frustrating too because it's like it's very clear that people were unwilling to take a risk in their own careers by like casting someone like J-Lo when yeah. it could have been really good. And so by them being afraid to risk their careers, they actually kind of damage the career of the person. It's almost like we that, don't make actions that take actions in a vacuum yeah a weird concept right it's so strange so i was thinking about risk taking with this because this is this movie is a fucking risk from front to goddamn back there is no secure part of this movie that isn't Mm (laughs) enough he is the one anchor point of this whole movie because it's strange so strange i think part of the reason why like it did well in the box office but it has like a 46 percent on rotten tomatoes yeah it's low it's not rated well critics hated this movie and i think a lot of audiences didn't like it either but it was big because j-lo had star power vince vaughn had star power but i I think think, it was also too weird for some people yeah too and i think that's a huge reason why it wasn't received as well because it Uh, was so risky yeah but it was one of those interesting things so i was looking at this because i've been thinking about the history of horror a lot and so i went and looked up like basically the biggest horror movies of each year four years of that year and then four years on either side so from 96 to 04 because mm. that's about the range that you're looking at you, that's the influence range of what's being made in a in a time period mm-hmm. so it was really interesting so i was looking through all of these movies and like all of these ones that were the biggest ones of the year right for, so we can start in 96 and that's kind of that's also i use that year for a reason i wanted to stop there because going back into that the early 90s were just not good for horror there was what little came out was basically shit. Yeah, you had a couple of good things thrown in there, but not much. I can't even really think of anything that I would have liked or if yeah. it's just yeah. So you'll start to see a pattern, but it's really interesting. So one quick another quick horror history thing. This is gonna be the last thing we talk about. I'm just gonna wrap this up. Okay. But we now in America know Japanese horror very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're very familiar with the grudge, the ring. Those are okay. like two of the more popular ones that everybody in America knows of. And when you and I were in Middle and high school, that's what was coming out. Yes. That was like the cool things to go see that wasn't just like your normal horror movie. That was kind of like, it, we, there was a moment where we had... It's like, oh, it's like a little alternative. Yeah, exactly. It's like a little different. Our little baby artsy faces yeah. were like, yeah, no, I'm going to go see the cool one. Yeah. Um, and then it was like, wait, but this is a remake. Yeah. <laughs> you should see the original. I the original is so much better. Watch. Yeah. I would yeah. say that shit and totally. never see it. <laughs> Um, God. And I'm mixed on Juon and The Grudge. I'm not mm. sure which one's better. They're different movies. But 96, Scream, Dust Till Dawn, The Craft, one of my favorites. Mm. But the night, oh, sorry, and that was the other point of that was that the 90s is when those movies were being made, the mm-hmm. Japanese horror movies that we know now. That's when that segment of Jap- Japanese horror started. Yeah. The ones that we recognize, that's when that all happened. But yeah, so we have these interesting ones, and then you have a bunch of schlock, right? We have a, it's this is when we get into this weird like, oh, horror movies are good, horror movies are bad. Which one are they? Because the '90s was a rough time for well everything, but Pretty much horror everything. in particular. But '97 you had Event Horizon, not a gamble, kind of a cool concept, but bombed and horribly reviewed. Ooh. And you had the sequel to Scream, which is good, but not a ama- but like not 
the biggest thing. And it was, like, this is when you start just getting all of these like teen ones. Because uh, mm-hmm. Scream is the one that really kicked that off. Because then you get I Know What You Did Last Summer. You've got Blair Scream 2. Project? That's that the next. That's then? the next big risk. Okay. Other than Cube. Which is a really weird movie. Oh my movie. god. Yeah. Which is what I thought this movie was <gasps> before I saw it in college. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Cube is crazy. But then you get the faculty. You get the original Ringu. Halloween 20. <laughs> right, sorry, H2O. Um, I never saw that. Yeah, but Blair Witch was like the next big risk. And then you also get Audition from Japan, mm-hmm. which is one of the first big like torture porn uh, body horror movies. Got it. From there. That's what kicks it off here. Mm-hmm. And then in 2000, you have this. So, sorry, then we're going to jump to 2004. Because after the, uh, 2005 is like when you the risks stop being taken. It's all torture porn from there until Infinity. Pretty much. Good movie that came out in 05 was The Descent. I think that's kind of why I fell out movie. of liking horror. Same. Is because... I, by the time I was old and like I definitely watched like I said all of these movies when I was far too young mm-hmm. by the time I was a little older and actually wanted to maybe invest time in getting into certain genres yeah. it was all torture porn yeah. and I just couldn't do it so 2004 is where you get the zombie thing mm. that's um, 2002 was 28 Days Later but 2004 was the Dawn of the Dead remake mm-hmm. and Shaun of the Dead both that year and in 2003, it's, again, not a lot of risk-taking. You've got a bunch of sequels and remakes. It's all... And a lot of, like, apocalyptic, like, yeah. with the zombies. Mm-hmm. But this was, you know, that was the year of The House of a Thousand Corpses, which people seem to really like. I've never particularly loved Zombies Eye. I don't think he's a very good storyteller, mm. especially visually. I think he has a cool sense of gore, and that's about it. But, yeah, you have that. You've got Wrong Turn, so Teen Slashers. Freddy vs. Jason comes out that year. Final Destination 2, the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, you, Gothica mm-hmm. comes out that year. Mm-hmm. Just a bunch of mm-hmm. sort of, like, either remakes or rehashes. Yeah, not a lot of new ideas. Yeah. Um, or risks, as you yeah. are pointing out. Yeah. So, and then 2002 was just a bunch of, like, 28 Days Later was the first, was the only risk that year. That's also the year that The Ring comes out in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, Resident Evil... The original grudge, the Japanese grudge, comes mm-hmm. out that year. That was a... I can't call that a risk because I can't comment on the history of Japanese horror as much as I want yeah. to. I know a little of it. It's a cool movie. It's told non-linearly. It's basically told in vignettes. It's a really great watch if you haven't. But, like, yeah, it's just a bunch of movies. Like, it's... This was one of the last risks for a long time. Mm-hmm. The Others was really good. That oh, was 2001. that was really good. But with, that's is about... Is that with Nicole Kidman? It sure is. I forgot about that But that's movie. basically, like, the ends of... I think like the, this movie and the others are some of the last risks that were taken for a very long time mm-hmm. in the genre. And I think that that damaged us a lot. I agree with that. <laughs> I agree with that. So I respect this movie a lot for being so risky and being a fucking successful risk. Absolutely. It still holds up. Yeah. It's Again, still it's good. It's not the best movie ever, but it's visually stunning. Yeah. Gorgeous references. Great performance by one actor. Decent performances by two others. And yet... A lot of people don't even know about it. And those who do are like, hey, I don't like it. I'm like, yeah, fuck or off, Or they dude. instantly dismiss it actually because I say that J-Lo's in it. I think that and that's... they're a, like, I'm, I'm not, what? Non-sarcastically, I completely agree with that. I think that's a, a lot of it. It's horrible. Yeah, it's dumb. This is a great movie. 
If you haven't seen it, please give it a watch. It's a lot. It's a good one. Yeah. That about wraps it up. Maybe. I think that's about everything I've got to say on this. I just yeah. I wanted to point out how much of a risk this movie was. That it wasn't like anything else being made. It wasn't like anything made at like it hadn't been made before and it wasn't made mm-hmm. since. At least for the next few years. Like once you get past that and you kind of look back and go, well, that movie was successful. I can make something like that. Because mm-hmm. you get people like us who are you know maybe saw that when they were in high school when it came out, and mm-hmm. then they get out of college or film school or get into those things and they start making things like that but we don't see those projects till later yeah so you that, just wanted to look at like the the lineage here the genealogy of, of ideas no i think it's a really good point i also do feel like there were a lot of movies that came out around this time that were about serial killers specifically yes. and i like this film because i also think instead of being as an as a viewer of the film you're not most of those other films, you're on the outside. Yes. And observing the behavior of a serial killer yeah. on the outside. and mm-hmm. But this was the only film, I think, that actually like allows the spectator to be involved just as much as the main yeah. characters are. It's a sympathetic view of who this person is, too. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't forgive the evil they do. No, but... Uh, but it shows the lineage again. Of what that, what of how evil perpetrates itself. Yeah, it's a and less surface level assessment of a serial yeah. killer, and you're able to, you're learning about the character the same exact time as the characters in the movie. And I think it's a more successful movie than Silence of the Lambs. Hot and, take. It, and it manages to not be transphobic. Not Ooh. one transphobic comment in the whole thing. That's very the only true. person who uses slurs is a very bad person. That's very true. It's important. I agree. Mm hmm. That's it. Uh, That's it. Um, <laughs> there's, I yep. mean, there's so much more we could say about this movie, but yeah, know, we're, we're clocking on. in just over 150 right now. So I'm the gonna... cell is visual poetry. It's That's all I got to say about that. Absolutely. Uh, plugs. Oh, um, well, I am currently working on a couple video projects of mine. I am a multimedia artist. Um, do a lot of video work, painting, performance, all mm-hmm. kinds of things. She's amazing. Um, oh, thank you. So you can follow me on Instagram. My art Instagram is at Shan Stovall, S-H-A-N-S-T-O-V-A-L-L. Mm-hmm. And my website is shannonstovall.com. Pretty simple, straightforward. I don't necessarily have like a performance or anything coming up at the moment, but if you follow me, then you can see anything that will happen in the future. Do it coming up so yeah thank you Topher oh yeah thank you so much for being here I really appreciate you filling in like I said I texted you last night and I felt so bad about it no I was just trying to figure my shit out Uh, it's been a rough month (laughs) I got you I need to let Nicole out of the bunker why is she in the bunker oh it's a bit I figured but I I I, it just you weren't gonna yes and me there no no because (laughs) I I am wiped you can find us um, at Horror Babes Pod on Instagram, or that's on Twitter, uh, Horror Babes Podcast website and Instagram. I'm Topher. You can find me. I don't ever post anywhere. I'm, I'm bad at social media. You can find Elton, our favorite producer and editor, at the Big Mac Elton. This is important. He's a big fat cat and I love him to death. Mm-hmm. That's it. Thanks, babes. Thank you. Bye. Bye.